Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leader's podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. And we are jamming. I'm playing my air to guitar to that opening music. Welcome to Better Than Before. My name is Tony Richards. Hopefully you know your name. And Bill, our producer, is here with us today. Hey, Bill. Hi, Tony. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Better Than Before. And I want to invite you to become a subscriber of our podcast. It's simple to do wherever you get your podcast. So it can be on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. We're also on our sort of our home uh, that hosts our podcast is Audio Boom. We're also on iHeartRadio. If you have an Amazon device, you can use Alexa, the artificial intelligence that Amazon has created to get our podcast. Or if you have Google Home, you can just say, Google, connect me to Better Than Before podcast, and it'll do the rest. And if it won't, it will ask you questions. We'd love for you to subscribe. That way you'll know every time we release a new episode. We typically release our episodes on Tuesday. Sometimes they come out on Wednesday if we're running a little behind, but usually Tuesday is the day we come out. And you don't even have to remember. If you're a subscriber, you'll get a little notification that says you have a new episode of Better Than Before. And so there's a bunch of places you can get it, and we'd love to have you subscribe. We'd also love it if you'd leave us a positive review because that drives our ratings and it will expose our podcast to new listeners all the time. Bill, the last time I saw stats on our podcast, we had listeners all over the world. Right. Uh, do you remember some of the countries that people uh, were in that listened to? I know Great Britain. We had some there. And uh, were there others you remember? Well, we have Egypt, France, Sweden, of course, the United States. We've got listeners worldwide, and I'm really thrilled with the amount of people who are downloading our podcast every week. And the reason I'm mentioning the subscription is just to make it easier for you. If you like our podcast, well, then that'll just make it easy. And every time we download a new episode, you'll be notified. It's been hotter than a billy goat with a blowtorch around here. For sure. Well, I hope the weather's been favorable wherever you are, and really it doesn't matter. As long as we're alive and breathing and walking around, the weather really should be inconsequential. But we all tend to notice, you know, what's going on, heat and cold and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to dive into the mailbag today. I got uh, some questions that have been sent in that I want to read and answer. We're going to get to the second half of my interview with Jerry Jarrett coming up. And uh, I also want to tell you about the self-esteem workshop. That's coming up on September the 20th here at our Clear Vision Development Group offices. It'll be from 8.30 in the morning to 3.30 in the afternoon. And I'm going to give you some tips and best practices on how to better manage and better build your self-esteem. You know, Bill, what keeps a lot of people from being as successful as they possibly could be is simply the way they see themselves and the way they feel about themselves. And 
the intrinsic value that they have about themselves. It's more than just being confident. It's how you see yourself and how you feel about yourself. And that can hold people back from living the life they'd like to live. And uh, you see it a lot of times in management. You see it a lot of times in sales, especially. There are a lot of people out there who are trying to they're trying to do their own business and they're trying to get out and promote their business. They're trying to get out and maybe sell. I think about people who are in real estate sales where they're pretty much on their own as a independent contractor or, or things like that. And self-esteem plays such a big role in how successful you're going to be because sales is just a transfer of confidence you're transferring confidence from yourself to the other person about the product or service that you're trying to market and sell. And if you don't have it, you can't transfer it. If you come up to me and you ask me for 10 bucks, if I don't have 10 bucks, I can't give you 10 bucks. If I have 10 bucks in my pocket, I can transfer that 10 from me to you. It's the same way in sales. It's a confidence transfer that what I'm telling you and what I'm showing you is really going to be a value and benefit to you. And I can do that better if I feel better and see myself better. I can't do it as well if I don't see myself as well and I don't uh, have those caring feelings about myself. And so self-esteem is a big issue. And I've never done this workshop before, so it's a new offering. And I'm excited uh, to put it out there. And I'm thinking we'll have a group of somewhere between 6 and 10 people. I think it should be a relatively small group. You know, normally I teach classes of 30 plus sometimes, but in this instance, this is a small, intimate group of people who are willing to be open and be willing to receive some guidance and instruction and some teaching about how to feel better about your self-esteem and therefore feel better about yourself. So I'm excited to be able to offer it. Yeah, sounds great. So uh, join us on September the 20th. That's a Thursday. And we kick off at 8.30 in the morning. We wrap up about 3.30 in the afternoon. There will be a few things I'll ask you to do in preparation for the class. But you should be able to find out more at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Look under events. That should be there. Also, go to our resources page. We've got a lot of free downloads. We have my book there. We have the audio version of my book. We got some free stuff that you can download, including an audio course on leadership that has been downloaded many, many, many times. It's been a very popular item, and you can get that too for absolutely free at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Okay, so we're ready for the mailbag. If you want to participate, you can send me an email at info, that's info at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Or you can hashtag better than before on Twitter if you've got a question or a comment that you'd like to submit to our mailbag here on Better Than Before Show. So this first person says, you are popular for saying that anyone and everyone is a leader. How can this really be possible? Aren't there people who have traits that make them unfit to be a leader? Okay, so we got two things going on here. Yes, I believe every person that's born into the world can be and is a leader because you're born into the world with self-driving mechanisms that are innate within yourself. And I personally am a God-believing person, so I believe that God designed every person to have that leadership GPS, that directional capacity and technology inside them. And I also believe that no one likes to be dominated. 
It takes effort to be humble. It takes effort to have humility. We want to rise up against anybody that tries to push us down. So that tells you on the inside, we don't really like anybody telling us what to do. So standing to reason then, that means we have something on the inside of us that's compelling us to make our own decisions. So what that tells me is that everyone wants to lead themselves. And we have the capacity and equipment to lead ourselves. And if you want to be what I consider to be a a fairly good leader, you have to learn to lead yourself adequately before you start messing with the lives of other people. And so, yes, everyone has what they need to be a leader, first of themselves, secondly, for other people. Second part of the question, are there people who have traits to make them unfit to be a leader? Well, it doesn't really disqualify them. If you believe in my theory that everyone has the equipment to be a leader, they still have that equipment. Now, if you're saying, are there people who have traits that make them unfit to be a boss or to be in a position of authority or to be in an office of authority? Absolutely. I mean, there are people who do things that they shouldn't be doing, or they do things that are unethical, or they do things that are immoral that should disqualify them from having influence over other people. There's no doubt about that. One reason is because all of us have a few weak traits And there are a few unhealthy traits that we all have. And some people have done a good job of dealing with their situations in a healthy way. And they've mitigated those unhealthy traits and those weak traits. Other people are owned by those. And they are almost a victim of their unhealthy habits and unhealthy traits. But the better leaders out there concentrate and grow their desirable attributes so they can overpower their undesirable attributes. I hope that helps answer your question. This person says, as far as communication as a key point, how can a shy person be a leader? So first of all, let me just direct you back to our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com, and search our blog. I've got four or five articles over the last 10 years that deal with introverted leaders and how they can communicate. But let's talk about communication for a second. Let's set the introvert-extrovert thing to the side, and let's just talk about communication. Communication is more than telling people what to do. Communication is more than directing other people. Communication is something that needs to be present in all healthy relationships. So if you want to have a healthy relationship with another person, you have to communicate. Now, what is communication? Let's break that down. Communication is made up of three different parts. Part one is transmission. That's where I'm writing an email to you, I'm sending you a note, I'm talking to you, I'm transmitting information somehow, some way from me to another person or from me to a group. That's transmission. Second part, reception. That message is received by another person. That email, that note, that letter, my voice through this podcast the other party receives the message. And then the third really equally important part is authentication. 
the message has been received and is understood. So when you're transmitting, it isn't just that the other person heard you. It's also that the other person understood you. That's why sometimes at the end of a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you always want to sum up the conversation and get the conversation authenticated and approved, right? In other words, Bill, you and I are having a conversation. I'm talking, you're receiving, you're transmitting, I'm receiving, we're going back and forth. And then one of us says, okay, to wrap this up, let's make sure we understand each other. You're saying A, B, and C, and I'm saying A, B, and C. You're clarifying and summing up at the end. You're authenticating that the message has been transmitted and received. That is a critical piece that a lot of people miss. They miss authenticating the message in communication. Leaders use words and actions to get things done. And sometimes communication is just simply by the things you do. And it's not necessarily as clear an interpretation as if you say it, but there are also things you can do through your actions that communicate things to other people as well. Introvert versus extrovert, I don't think it makes that much difference as long as you understand the principles of communication. As long as you understand the principles of getting your message across, making sure the person heard it, making sure that it was understood and authenticated, and vice versa. I know there's a lot of really strong leaders that have been introverts in the past, and there always will be. Now, you can use that as a limiting factor if you'd like. Well, I'm an introvert, so I'm limited in the amount I can do. That's a self-imposed constraint. I would encourage you not to do that. I would just encourage you to study the principles of communication, implement those principles, live by those principles, and you'll be just fine. All right, last one. This person says, where do you see most leaders falling short? Where do you see, oh, this is a good question. Where do you see most leaders falling short? Mostly in my work, I see one area where People don't cultivate core values in the organization. They may have core values. And just to clarify, core values are those behaviors that are absolutely essential to be implemented and used in an organization towards success. Most businesses who have core values have somewhere between four and seven, and they're indicated by a word followed by a sentence that describes in behavior what that word means. So let's say integrity is a core value and the sentence is we will be upfront and fair in all of our dealings with our customers, employees, and vendors or something like that. It, it describes what integrity means if you were to behave in integrity. A lot of people have those. They're hanging around the wall. They're in their newsletters. Maybe even at a little higher level, they're actually demonstrated and they're talked about in meetings. But they don't really use them as a focus in evaluating an employee or in an employee's review or in demonstration of making sure that in all of our situations we're actually doing them. They don't revisit them and think of creative ways to interject them into the culture. That's one. And one of the reasons why they don't do it is because it's hard. It's not easy. And so the culture of the company and the brand of the company 
should be congruent. In other words, the customer experience that you want customers to have when they deal with your company has to be executed by your employees. And your employees are influenced by the culture. Denise Yohn is going to be on our podcast in a couple of weeks, and she's a worldwide expert in this. So I'm really looking forward to talking to her here on Better Than Before. But the internal culture directs how customers are treated. So if your employees are unhappy, they're going to be less than desirable to deal with from a customer standpoint. And if your employees are super happy and enthusiastic about your company, customer service is going to be all that much better. Your culture works from the inside out. Leaders fool themselves if they think their internal culture is a mess and their customer service is going to be excellent. It just isn't going to happen that way. Another area where I see leaders falling short is they don't do a good job preparing individuals for the next job. So if you're going from one particular level job into a next level job, they don't necessarily do a good job of working with that person to prepare them before they step into the next level. In other words, it's sort of like they work with them on their level and their level and their level until they think they're ready for the next level. And then we just put them into the next level with no preparation. When actually everything they're doing now should be preparing them for the next level job, if that makes sense. Lastly, and again, the reason you don't see this as much is because it's incredibly difficult. I don't see many teams out there. I see work groups and I see committees, but I don't see a lot of teams. And the reason is because teams win and lose together. Teams don't have personal agendas. Teams are not based on self-interest. You have to lose a little bit of yourself in order to be on a team because it requires humility and it requires not being necessarily the star of the show, but working together to get an output. That's really difficult to cultivate over time. I mean, even now in professional sports, you got teams that are really based on individual performers. If you get enough individual performers, you'll win. That doesn't necessarily mean you have a team. But if you have enough people who are that much better than the other team's person at that position, you can win. But that doesn't mean you have a team. And so I don't see as many teams out there. It's more like you see an individual person leading a group that is working. You don't really see that many teams. And I could go on and on about that, but I think that answers it enough. If you've got questions about leadership or business and you want to send them in, you know, it gives us great things to talk about. Plus, I'd like to help you and add value by answering your question. You can send it to us via email, info, I-N-F-O, at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Or you can hashtag better than before on Twitter, and we'll get that, and we'll get it on the program, get your question answered. Coming up next, we have part two of my interview with Jerry Jarrett, straight from Nashville. Stand by. It's coming up next on Better Than Before. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com.
both in the wrestling business and also in the construction and some of the land development, you had some adversity around some of the partnerships that you had. And I've had that similar type experience too in the past. You know, they can be successful and they can be tough. What do you think makes a good partner? Well, again, I think it's not different than than what makes a good marriage. Both have to contribute. Both have to know that you can't get your way all the time. And you have to be willing, I think, to say, well, I don't think he or she is right. But it won't hurt to do it their way. And if they're right, good. And if they're not right, then we'll do it my way and see if that's right. It has to be, again, the politics of business. You know, if you're going to be a good congressman or senator, you've got to be willing to compromise. Right. Only if your name is Putin can you (laughs) get by with not sharing opinions or authorities. And I just think that's the most important part of it. You mentioned Vince McMahon and WWE, and uh, they called you to come take a look at the business, and the Von Erics called you to come look at Texas. They were looking for you to be a partner, but several companies were calling you on a consultative basis, and I, I noticed in the book you always approached those situations very slowly and apprehensively, and so I was just kind of curious What created that reluctance on your part to go in as a consultant on a real slow, reluctant basis? Well, mostly I wanted to find out the personality of the people involved. You know, the old story of the king riding down the street on his horse naked. Not many kings want to be told you don't have any clothes on. Most executives find it very difficult for somebody to come in and say, the problem with your company is you. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) That's your job, Tony, to go in and say, you know, you're the one that's, that needs fixing. So I was always reluctant and took it slow so I could find out, you know, how this person took constructive criticism. Were they really sincere about wanting to improve their lot, or did they want me to come in and confirm the fantasy that it was somebody else's fault? And... If I judged that that was the case, I didn't go. Mm -hmm. Because you can't fix something if you're not honest and truthful about it. 
You know, I think it's also difficult, too, is if you're the person who's been in charge and you've created success on your own and you have some principles and ways of doing it. Sometimes as a consultant, that's difficult because you're not the one actually doing it and executing it. You're trying to provide advice and get that done through another person, which I think uh, is why a lot of people don't really succeed in the consulting business because it's either they have to be the one in the seat or not they can't really coach the person in the seat which is a which is a nice skill set to develop one of the things i want to talk about though is you created a really successful land development business and a construction company and we touched on it a little bit earlier that's not what a lot of people generally talk to you about which is why i really want to talk to you about it what got you interested in doing that you know, when you give your life to a business and that business, because of changes in society, that business ceases to be profitable or possible. And uh, the wrestling business, we were the last territory standing. And I just realized our day of doom was imminent. So I sat around and reflected and thought and prayed. And you know, I, I don't know you personally enough to know, and I certainly don't want to get off on a religious tangent, but I have always found that if I humbled myself before God and said, I really need help, that something would happen. So I did that. And one day I was walking around my farm and it just hit me. Why don't I, why don't I sell people a little piece of this paradise so they can build a house? Now that's a, romantic way to say, why don't I put roads and water in the streets? And so I hired a company to, uh, do the engineering and lay it out. And then I hired a contractor to start putting it in. And he put in phase one. And after I sold the lots in phase one, I realized, well, I didn't make any money. And this is crazy. This land is very valuable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, then I started looking close. And in the construction business, change orders will eat you. And so what I found out is the contractor had come close to doubling his price by saying, Jerry, we didn't know we were going to hit rock here. We didn't know this. We didn't know that. We had a sinkhole here, a million problems. And so I went to another contractor that was a friend of mine in Florida, you know, where he couldn't do the work and showed him everything. And he said, well, unfortunately, Jerry, you have been taken advantage of, and this is a risk developers run. Maybe you ought to do something different. And I said, no, I enjoy this. It's fun. For phase two of Cumberland Place, I'll just do it myself. 
So I bought an excavator and a bulldozer and I went to the back corner of my farm and learned how to use it. And then I hired, you know, who I thought, and he was a great superintendent that worked for me that knew the ropes. And I was a, you know, I followed him around like a puppy dog so that I could learn, learn from him. And I made a lot of money on phase two and all the way up through phase five because I was lived in Hendersonville and I was around a bunch of country music people. I was able to buy Johnny Cash and June Carter's farm and I developed that. One thing led to another and first thing you know, I had, uh, I'd put a couple of thousand lots on the ground. Well, at one point, uh, back in the wrestling business, kind of a, a mix between the wrestling business and the construction business. You gave your mom a partnership stake in your wrestling business. You had your father-in-law working with you. He moved over into the construction business with you. You had your son, Jeff, in the wrestling business. Your daughter, Jennifer, was a bookkeeper for you. And, of course, you had Deborah that was highly supportive and involved. How did you make family and business work together all those years? Well, Eddie... My father-in-law is the most unique person, and I have patterned my actions, my interactions uh, with my children after Eddie. Eddie never one time what I'd call interfered. He never volunteered advice, and that is an exceptional person. Now, if I could go to him and ask him, and boy, he would tell me if he thought I was going the wrong direction, but I had to go to him. Well, solicited feedback and my thoughts are always better than unsolicited. There's a lot of people that want to tell you what they've got on their mind or most of the time that's for them and not you anyway. That's right. Now at 75, what I, what I tell everybody that will listen to me is don't have your family involved. Now, my mother, you know, was a really smart person and she was an exception, but generally I recommend not doing it particularly with your children, because your children, you know, your children have their own life to live. I wish I could remember. I would read it to you now, but your children come through you and not from you. Uh, That's a, a poem. And you cannot, Let's see, how does the poem go? You cannot visit, you cannot go there even in your dreams. In other words, your children have their own life to live. And there is generally conflict. Every father-son that I knew in the wrestling business didn't work out. 
not a single one. Jeff and I, I thought could be different. And we went for seven or eight years and didn't talk because, you know, I had started a company with him and he and I saw were at odds in the decision-making. And finally, I just walked away from it. And uh, it was really, really one of the saddest things that has ever happened in my life. So I don't recommend children being involved at all. And on a wider range, I don't think it's healthy for family. If you have a relationship with somebody and if they're a friend, you can say to them, you know, this company is bigger than you and I both together. We have to think what's best for the company. Well, if you say that to your child, it's like saying, you love the company more than you love family. Right. So my advice from a lot of success and some failures, don't try to have family involved in your business. One of the things you talk about in the book is this theme of a blessing happens, especially when things don't work out like you planned. And there were a couple times in the book where you talked about that. When that failure is happening to you in the moment, it's hard to see that there might be a blessing or something good down the road. How do you process and handle that to keep going forward? In my case, I have to have my faith to know that, you know, God really does look at me as one of his children and it makes it sometimes you know this is funny or not funny strange sometime i think it might have been a blessing that my father chose to not have the responsibility of children and family and left because i was real eager early in life to have a father figure and, you know, we pray our Father who art in heaven, but sometimes we really don't think that he really is a father. And I, I don't mean to sound like a preacher, for goodness sakes. I don't think I could have made it through the hard times without that knowledge that God was not going to let me drown. And if he did, there was a good reason for it. You know, when adversity would come, I would say, you know, and I would hearken back to things, little cliche sayings. Uh, well, God closes one door. He's doing that so that you'll go through the next one that he opens up. And I could not run a business if I didn't have a solid relationship with God. And when I say that, it doesn't mean uh, going to church uh, Sunday and Sunday school and 
Wednesday prayer meeting. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying a personal relationship. Right. It's not not a religious relationship, a spiritual one. Yes. I started a church in Hendersonville because the elders and the deacons fired my friend, the preacher. And I said, well, shoot, I'll just start my own. And I did, and that church now grew to, I don't know, 1,700 families. But I don't go because I I read a book called The Celestine Prophecy. And I guess I'm slow. I had to read it three times before it. I was really enlightened to what it was saying, but it's a book about spirituality, and it was only the second reading that I realized that it wasn't just a, a story about an adventure, but, you know, about spirituality. And that changed my life and was a huge influence that, uh, you know, that God is very, very real. And he's very, very active. And sometimes the things that we, the unanswered prayer are the, is the real blessing. Uh, early in my life, I had saved $50,000 by driving a Volkswagen instead of a Cadillac when I was wrestling. And, you know, never doing drugs or drinking or, just save my money working hard. So I thought that I was buying an interest into the company that I started with. So I gave them all I had, the 50000 And then a dispute arose, and I was told, you bought a option. You didn't buy into the company. You don't own anything. And I was devastated, crushed, beaten. I went home and sat on the couch and slept on the couch and cried for three or four days. Just thought I was going to lose my mind. And one morning I woke up and said, Somewhere I'd heard, thank God for unanswered prayers. And I said, you know, here is a test, Jerry. You're being tested. It's easy to profess your love of God when everything is going smooth. Yeah. When you're driving around and you had her shot and flying in your airplane, it's easy. But when you're at the bottom of the well, sometimes it's easy to say, why would you do this to me? So I said, you know, maybe this is for the best. And I got up off the couch and I started my wrestling business from scratch. And I proceeded on faith because I didn't have any money. And I ended up with a business that, you know, profits. It's kind of like the scoreboard and the football game of life. And that incident 
where I got taken advantage of turned out to be the greatest blessing of my life because it opened the door to have Jarrett promotions and make a million dollars a year. And that was the foundation for doing everything that you're doing up till today. So, you know, those process events that we have where we feel like we're going through a process, that's exactly what's happening. And if we can look at it that way, we can we can get through those things and look forward to the good things that are happening on the other side. So I've got a standard list of closing questions for you. I'd like to do these in pretty fast, rapid-fire succession. So your answer can be just a word or two on each one of these, and we'll zip through these pretty fast, Jerry. Are you ready? Well, I'll, <laughs> I'm as ready as I think <laughs> I can be. All right. What's the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you? Mm, waking up after my heart surgery and realizing that I was still alive. Wonderful. What's the number one hero in your life? My grandfather, Papa Wright. I mean, you know, he was a chronic alcoholic, but he's also the one that told me to turn over every rock in the creek. Yep. What's the top value you subscribe to? Top, top. Boy, these are tough questions. The ability to face reality. I like it. What's the most important person in your life? Deborah, my wife. What's your favorite thing in the whole world? Uh, Everything that stirs the emotion, whether it's somebody that sings a song that touches my heart on American Idol. Or uh, you mentioned poetry several times. I'm sure it could be that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Poetry speaks to the heart and uh, prose speaks to the mind. And I, I, I like things that stir the heart. Yeah. What's your favorite food? Oh, I never met a breakfast food I didn't like. You know, one thing that I heard the other day, going back to your comment about the mind and the heart, somebody told me that decisions are made in the mind, but commitment is made in the heart. And I thought that was pretty good. Boy, that is. I'm going to write that down, Tony. (laughs) I think I know the answer to this one from reading your book. What's the most beautiful place you've been to? Sanibel Island, Florida. Yep. You had a house there, right? And then you sold it and now you visit still, don't you? A couple of times a year. Okay. If you could describe success in one word, what would that be? Wow. Reality. People live in a dream world that they create too often. And that just keeps them stuck, right? Yeah. How do you want to be remembered? Ah, Lord. I guess as an honest man. Yeah, and I'd say you probably the the way that you describe the way you've treated your children and your grandchildren, right? You want to be remembered for that. Yes. What would be some good advice for a younger Jerry Jarrett? To thine own self be true. What's your favorite sound? Oh, well, that's easy. The waves rolling in on the beach. That nourishes my soul. And I might know the answer to this one too, but I'm just curious. What's the best lesson you've learned? Uh, life is in constant change. Be prepared for it. Don't let it surprise you. I love it. I love it. So the book is called The Best of Times. It's by Jerry Jarrett. If you're a wrestling fan, you're going to automatically love it, but I would recommend it to anybody. One of the best lessons I've learned, and I learned this a long time ago, that if you read autobiographies or if you read biographies, you can learn in just a couple of days things that it took other people 75 years to learn. So it's 
pretty valuable. And I, I love to read five, six biographies a year. And I really enjoyed reading Jerry's. Jerry, is there anything else you want to say or promote before we wrap up? Yes, yes. Tony, you and I have just met on Twitter. But what I want to tell you is that your tweets uh, resonate in my heart and soul. I mean, of course, you know, I absorb them in my mind, but in the short time that we have known each other, you've been a very positive factor in my life. You bet. And my advice to you, as a promoter, this is a promoter coming out into me. As you go back through all your tweets and you put them in a book and you give the book to all your clients and prospective clients, because my life, when I reflect back over it, your heart has more to do with success than your back your strong back or your mind. And you really address things of the heart. Well, that's wonderful. That's, that's a, that's the best compliment I could hope to receive Jerry. And I really appreciate it. Thanks for being on today. I've enjoyed it. I've got your leadership and business lesson coming up next on better than before. Are you working twice as hard, but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, your host. It's time for our weekly leadership and business lesson. And today I want to talk to you about the critical decision. Every time something's presented to you, you make a critical decision. And it usually goes one way or another. You can believe in what was presented to you and begin to use it, or you can choose not to believe in it and not use it or utilize it, or go that direction, or buy in. Anytime you're asked to believe and commit to something new, you have to make the same critical decision every single time. You have the key to your own house. No one can get into your house, what I call your mind and your will and your emotions and the doorway to your mind. You can unlock that door to your mind and let it in, or you can keep the door to your mind locked and you can reject it. Do you believe in and act on what you were told, or do you choose not to believe in it and act on it and continue on your current path? We know that if we want to get to a new destination or to get new and different results, we must make an adjustment or do something new and different. Yet many of us continue the insanity of doing the same continuous actions or directions, and we still think we're going to get a better or different destination or result. 
This inaction of change results in the same doom loop of results you desperately want to change. There will be no change in the final results or the destination without the critical decision to believe something different and follow with a corresponding action. In addition, remember the decision to not believe and not act is still a critical decision that carries results as well. The opportunity of a lifetime only exists within the lifetime of the opportunity. Sometimes that door stays open. Sometimes that door closes. Sometimes the window stays open. Sometimes it closes. Sometimes we only have a short amount of time to make the critical decision. Yes or no. And remember, even no is a critical decision. Just like yes is a critical decision. And we're all faced with those several times a day. Just remember, there's no inconsequential decision. Everything counts. That's our show for today. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you again next time on Better Than Before. And remember, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.